Good morning, church. Great to see you. Bobby Bennett produces these videos. He does a magnificent job, and we're just so moved by it sometime. He sent this to me uh, late in the week and said, what do you think about this? I said, that'll be perfect. It was so effective, I almost didn't come today because <laughs> I just wanted to relax. <laughs> we want to start talking about Sabbath. How many of you would agree with me that after what we've been through the last year or so, that we need to kind of reset and recalibrate and reorder the behaviors of our lives so that we can get back to a full speed and move with a level of momentum and conviction so that we can finish well. How many of you, how many of you think that's probably a good idea for us right now? I think so. So today and the next few weeks, I want to talk about an important practice, a behavior, an attitude a condition of the heart that is vitally important and one that has been missing in our culture for a while. And I hope it encourages you and inspires you to think about practicing these behaviors. I want to talk about the Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. This is chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. And this is actually where Moses is delivering the Ten Commandments for the first time to the nation of Israel. And of course, all of us have been impacted and influenced in profound ways in the Western cultures with the Ten Commandments. Indeed, the whole world has. And so it'll be a nice refresher to hear these words again, and we hope it'll be an inspiration to you. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able to do that, thanks a lot. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's, that's my family tree right there. That's, that's me. Hope you find yourself there too. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign, foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, his, uh, his Ferrari, his Porsche, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't, it's not good. May the Lord encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. When David Green built his first craft store in 1972, his initial plan was to close his stores on Sundays. He thought, as a Christian person, that this would be best for my employees and their families and even his customers. They could take the day off. But he got scared. Here's why. A competitor vowed to drive him out of business, and one of his tactics was to operate seven days a week. So David opened on Sundays to match the competition. But as the years went by, his business began to thrive. It expanded. It grew. He gave money to charity, gave money to the church, to godly causes, kingdom initiatives. But his conscience continued to bother him about his stores being open on Sunday. He realized that with one hand, he was supporting the church and being generous in many ways. But on the other hand, he was in direct conflict, actually working against the the church, literally, by having his business open on Sunday. So for many of his employees, Sunday was the only time they could go to church or spend time with their children. So for David Green, something was wrong. Two decades after he began his business, he looked at the numbers, and this is what he discovered. Hour for hour, Sunday had become the most profitable day of the week. He was selling, listen to the number now, $100 million in merchandise per year just on Sundays. That's a big number. And so he prayed, and then he took the plunge. He decided to permanently close his stores on Sundays. And the founder and president of the Hobby Lobby chain, we have a Hobby Lobby here in town, and he said after he closed all of his businesses, there were dozens of stores around the country at that point, He said that after he closed on Sunday, that that's when his business really took off. And the story is a powerful and profound one. I know the story of of the Green family. Uh, Hobby Lobby is privately owned by this family. And I have some indirect connections with the Green family. And so I know a, a lot of details about their story. And it is an amazing story. And the blessing of God is on their business, no doubt. In fact, I don't know about you, but when I drive by Hobby Lobby, I have, an, I have this instinct to pull in, just walk in the store and hand them money. <laughs> I don't know. 
what that is. It's just the favor of God. You mean you need to buy something? No, no. I don't need anything. I don't need any knickknacks. I just want to hand them money because it seems like the right thing to do. So David Green's story is dramatic, of course, because of the numbers, the size of it, but it is no less dramatic to be a single parent without enough hours in the day or a college student with a big exam coming up on Monday or a child facing a Little League playoff game, which is conducted on Sunday, and then try to decide to live your life 24-6 rather than 24-7 like everyone else. 24-6 meaning that we're going to invest ourselves six days of the week, and on one day, we're going to practice the Sabbath. It's a great challenge. Now, Genesis opens... uh, opens with the Lord speaking the universe into existence. We all have heard this in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And after each day, the Lord said, good. So he was forming certain aspects of the world and called it good. And then on the sixth day, you and I were formed, and the Lord said, very good. And yet when the Sabbath was created, on the seventh day, the Lord whispered simply, not good or very good, He said about the Sabbath, the seventh day, he called it holy. Holy. I have a two-point sermon, which can only be taught by a one-point sermon. But this is only two points, not three, not five, not seven points. Anybody can stay awake for two points. She will stay awake, sir, and so when it comes to the second point, she will nudge you, and you will wake up again and get the second point, because anybody can get two. Here's the first one, if you're following along in the outline, I hope you are, that the Sabbath has gone missing. The Sabbath has gone missing in our culture. We live in the most fast-paced period of history. People literally fly from continent to continent every day by the thousands. We cure diseases, diseases that have plagued humanity for generations, and now we just dismiss them because we've cured them. Uh, We are experiencing right now in our world a miracle of modern science. This COVID-19 virus invaded the world over a year ago, and it's had an impact either directly or indirectly on, on all of us in very potent ways, powerful ways, profound ways. We've all been affected by it, and yet we have experienced the development of a vaccine, an effective, over 90% effective vaccine for the COVID virus, and it was all developed inside of a year, public and private partnership, and the the genius and probably the favor of God helping scientists put this together. Beth and I have gotten our vaccine, and we are, you know, vaccinated. We are immune, And, and as it should be. And it's, it's a, a wonderful testimony of God's blessing and, and the miracle of science. It's just a remarkable thing. And, and let me just say that as the days and weeks unfold now, there are still going to be pockets of people who are paranoid about all of this. And, and, and we've learned over time that some people should be anxious about it, that they're in an age group or a particular health category that makes them more susceptible We also know that there are huge segments of the population who aren't at risk at all in any kind of serious way. And and so we have to get back. We have to get back to our lives. We do. And 
And Beth and I have been vaccinated. Beth, middle of the year last year, in the middle of the mess, uh, she had had it with the whole isolation thing. She, Beth doesn't do isolation well. And she finally just said out loud, I would rather be dead than not being able to live. And I think that's the right perspective. Now, there are people watching online today. You haven't been here for over a year in, the, in worship, and we're glad you're there. And let me just say that we have doubled down on all of the efforts we have made to make online and, and digital church experience a meaningful one and an effective one. And I don't think anybody does it any better than we do. I mean, it, I mean it's a really remarkable accomplishment from our team. And we're going to continue to reach people by every means that God gives us, including to the digital technology. And so we're glad you're here and we're happy about this. There's no substitute for being here. Being with the people of God in the presence of God, you cannot replace that. It's a very important value. In fact, a command from Jesus to us not to forsake this assembling of ourselves together. So as the days and weeks unfold, uh, my admonition is going to be let's get back together. And let's, let's, let's be the church as God designed it. And we'll do everything else we can in other ways, but that becomes our priority. So, so we have this, this world in which we live where diseases like COVID can be, can be beaten. And we have smartphones in our pockets that are unbelievable. Uh, there's a whole medical library in our pocket. There's a camera. There's a high-def video camera. You can make a movie with the phone in your purse. It's, it's a, it's just, there's a thousand songs <laughs> on your phone, ready, ready to play. We live in a society that doesn't seem to be able to get enough of anything. We want more money. We want more things. We live longer than any group of people in, in history. And yet we don't seem to have enough time for family, for friends, for the things to get done that really matter. We can have a three-minute egg in 30 seconds. That's the world we live in. We can get the answer to virtually any question of fact instantly, and yet we feel frustrated. We have access to food, physical security, comforts that the world has never known before. We have access to technology, technology that just a few short years ago was in the science fiction category. No way will cars be driving themselves anytime soon. Well, pretty soon all of our cars are going to be driving themselves. It's, it's an amazing world we live in. And yet, in spite of all of that, more and more people seem to be unhappy, unfulfilled, lacking real peace of mind and heart. And so we ha it begs the question, what is wrong? What's wrong? Why aren't we content with what we have. I mean, are the answers to life faster computers, stronger medicines, more money? Or is there something missing from our lives? Something essential, ultimately important, missing. I want to submit to you that sometimes the something that is missing is hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to see. The the things that are absent from our lives and our world that are really essential and important are hard to identify. Sometimes they, they hide from us. Here's a little exercise. I want you to think about what Sunday was like 
in your life and family when you were growing up? Just take them just a few moments and I want you to think back. Now, if you're from the baby boomer generation or older, this is gonna be a, a very warm exercise for you. If you are a millennial or a Gen Zer or even a, a, an alpha, this will not be as meaningful to you. But I want you to just think back to your family of origin when you were growing up, when you were a child, and think about the patterns, the pace, the activities of your Sunday. How many of you, this is bringing a smile to your face? Lots of people. What is missing in our lives is a rhythm that was established thousands of years ago by our creator, a rhythm of stopping all commerce and work one day out of seven. What's missing is a day of rest when we take time to connect with one another and to hear the voice of God. Connection with people, important, and to hear God, hear God speak to us in our lives. Now consider, just a short while ago, almost everything in society stopped one day a week. Gas stations stopped, banks, grocery stores all locked their doors at night on, and on Sunday. But that's not true anymore, as you know. We're no longer a society that goes to sleep at night or conducts business six days a week. Now we go 24-7. In fact, 24-7 is a phrase that is in all of our vernacular. It's part of the nomenclature of day-to-day -day life, 24-7. Today's message is entitled 24-6. I want you to think about that. We got taken away from our culture. What is absent, what is missing, is rest. I want you to hear me out. Sunday was the day when libraries and pharmacies barred the door and people got dressed up and drove to church. Those without particular religious convictions simply took the day off. So irrespective of faith, all members of society were given and even guaranteed a day each week when they could rest. It's a big deal. It was, it was cultural societal default. One day a week we rest. So we do the math. When you subtract a day of rest each week, it has a profound effect. I want to submit to you, how, how, how could it not? If it's one-seventh of our lives, one day a week adds up. For example, 52 days a year times an average lifespan is equal to more than 11 years. Take away 11 years of anything in a lifetime, and there will be a change. There will be an effect. This is a law of the universe. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Subtract over a decade of sleep or work or education, and the entire character of your existence is altered. So unfortunately, in our society, it's not Monday that got mislaid. It's not hump day, Wednesday, that got misplaced. It's our Sabbath day that's been misplaced, our day of rest. So if we're going to reclaim or recover our Sabbath, we must first admit that something has gone missing. Something is misplaced that we need to replace. It's not always easy to see something is missing. It happens quickly and yet so gradually and that no one even protested or noticed. And as I mentioned, the emergent generation, the youngest among us, they don't, they, they've never had it in their lifetimes and so they have nothing to realize is missing. It's never been there, and so how could they know? But a weekly day of rest. A weekly day of rest is like mint chocolate chip ice cream from Baskin Robbins. 
That's my favorite. <laughs> Just pausing there for a moment. <laughs> a day of rest is like getting a hug from the person who's most precious to you in the world. You can survive without Baskin-Robbins ice cream, but you can't really live. You can survive without hugs, but you're not really living. You can spend the rest of your life hunkered down in the closet in your, in your bedroom because you're afraid that COVID's going to get you, but you're not really living. Let me conduct a survey. Imagine this kind of a world. Just ima- let your imagination get around this if you can. See if you agree. Suppose that everyone got to take off one day a week, that we were able to, in our culture, just with, with some capacity of communication, that we could, we could just survey everybody at the same time, and we've all agreed we're going to stop and, and answer this question. Will we agree that one day out of seven each week, we are all going to rest? Six days a week is all any business could or would operate. If you're open for business on Sunday, then you have to close one other day of the week. If you're closed on Saturdays, then you can operate on Sundays. You get the idea. For the moment, put aside concerns about hospitals and emergencies and that sort of thing. We're simply considering what would be ideal. Just imagine it. Everyone in the country works only six days a week. That's the rule. Now, keep in mind... There are only a, a very, very few things people might agree 100% on, but I want to submit to you that this idea, I think, would catch on. Don't you? I mean, if we all, it doesn't matter what your stripe, what your, what your, what your religion, what your worldview, what your status, if we just all got together and said, okay, we're all going to agree, this is the new rule, if we all agree to it, that one day out of every seven everybody's going to rest. Who would disagree with that? I mean, that, that might actually get 100% agreement. Because when you hear it, you go, I like that idea. Boy, that feels good. Man, that, that's got potential. And if everybody agrees to it, I'm in. Now, think about that. We can't agree on anything. We can't agree on music. We can't agree on moral codes. We can't agree on politics. So when virtually everyone agrees on something and yet that something does not exist, could it be that we are dealing with one of the most important matters in the world where you could get that kind of agreement, the deepest business of humanity? So I want to submit to you that a day of rest is missing from our lives. And this day started the day after human history began, all the way back to Genesis. It made it through the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. It didn't perish when it was exported to the new world. It survived the American Civil War. It was still going strong when women got the right to vote. It prospered during and through the Depression. It blasted off at the dawn of the space age. Only in the last few minutes of time, of history, has it been misplaced. Only recently have we not practiced it. So instead of working harder or smarter or longer, maybe we should follow God's example example, and simply stop and rest one day of the week. 
Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 on the screen with me, if you will. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with this strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now, human, human memory is complicated. For example, if I ask you, what did you have for lunch yesterday? Half of you couldn't tell me. I've asked you to describe your first date that you had when you were a teenager. You could describe it in detail. So, so human memory is complex. Some stuff sticks and other stuff doesn't. Some of the stuff that has happened to us in our past, we want to forget. We repress the memories. We don't want to go back there. And yet it still affects us all the same, those events and patterns. Let me tell you a story. Mrs. Beebe arrived at the entrance to the emergency room in an ambulance. She was alert. She was thanking the emergency medical personnel. She had lived long. The heroes of her day, of her generation, are the ones who had landed on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. She had lived long. She'd learned to read in a one-room school. She always wore a handmade cotton dress as a girl. Decades of hardship in her life had not made her bitter, but rather had made her better. Though it was early morning, about 5 a.m., a steady flow of cars had followed the ambulance to the hospital. Sons, daughters, grandchildren, all arrived Emergency room personnel reported, all arrived respectfully, quiet, sensibly dressed. These family members were not drawn to the hospital that morning because Mrs. Beebe had a lot of money that they were going to inherit or because she had some special position, but because of that most subtle of forces that binds the hearts of people together. They loved her. The emergency room doctor asked, what brings you to the ER? And Mrs. Beebe said with her fist clenched and motioning a circle over her heart, she said, I woke up this morning hurting right here. The doctor listened to her heart, her breathing, ordered a chest x-ray, an EKG, the lab work. Everything was normal. When the first lab test came back, they too were normal. By now, the family was anxious to see with their own eyes that she was doing okay, and so nurses escorted a few of them back at a time to see that she was doing okay. Some of the well-wishers made plans to get their children off to school. Everyone volunteered in any way they could to help. You know, take my blood if she needs blood. I got an extra kidney if she needs a kidney. Uh, whatever you need, we're here to help. That was their collective response in this family. The doctor was at his desk when Mrs. Beebe's medical records arrived. He noted that the file was very thin for someone who had lived so long. She'd been to the hospital only on a few occasions over the years, but he noted that it was always in the middle of January. The diagnosis on those occasions was listed as atypical chest pain or non-cardiac chest pain. On each admission to the hospital, nothing serious was ever found. So now there's a puzzle. Why the non-events? 
She wasn't a complainer. She wasn't a smoker or a drinker. She didn't have allergies. She didn't take any medications. But under the social history, there was a note explaining that she lived alone with a close-knit family and that she had been widowed since the earliest part of the medical record. And so the doctor went back to talk to the patient. Her son, one of her sons and a granddaughter stood by the bed. The doctor said, I see in your patient record that you lost your husband. Do you mind me asking you how, she, how he passed? There was a long pause. The question hung in the air. The question hung in the air so long it began to take on a life of its own. The, the, the doctor had stumbled into the family's elephant in the room. The granddaughter's eyes were like a deer in headlights. There was more silence. And then Mrs. Beebe spoke. She said, it was after the war. It was on a cold night, as cold as this. We were all asleep. My husband heard it first. The animals were bawling. He called to the children then ran to the barn to get the cows out. The barn was on fire. One of the unique configurations of a New England dairy farm included the connection of the milking barn to the house for convenience. The downside, of course, is if one burns, they both burn. The son now standing next to his mother's bed picked up the story. He painted the picture of a woman standing in the snow huddled with five children praying for a husband who never made it out of the barn. The house, the way of life, the wedding dress, the photos, the family Bible, everything was lost. Mrs. Beebe had lost her husband in the middle of January. Now more than a half century later, she had woken out of sleep with a pain in her chest Neither she nor her family nor any of the physicians had ever connected the dots. Mrs. Beebe's heart wasn't diseased. Her heart was broken. Now, the link between Mrs. Beebe's tragic anniversary, her broken heart, and her aching chest all came together kind of by luck that one night. But I ask you this, how many... Similar connections escape us every day. Episodes in our lives. Moments of pain, confusion, seasons of tragedy, loss. And that such patterns often go unnoticed in medicine, in families, and in life. And this is the way of mankind, isn't it? This is the way it is for all of us. We, we, we're clever. Our brains are amazing machines. But we forget. We forget. And our memory and our vision and often become least reliable when it comes to the things that we are closest to and the things we care most about. We're often the last ones to see what is obvious to everyone else. This happens all the time. Happens all the time. So if saintly Mrs. Beebe and her family had forgotten the tragedy that had defined them as people and as a family... How is society, and this is the point, how is society to keep track of all seven days in a week? How can we do it? 
We conveniently and sometimes intentionally forget all of the things that have impacted and made us who we are. So maybe it wasn't dark intentions that resulted in the loss of the Sabbath as it is a kind of society-wide absent-mindedness. We just forgot how important it is to stop and to rest and to connect the dots with our mind and our spirit and our soul, our connection with each other, our connection with God. Maybe that's why the commandment about the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that begins with the word, remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So the Sabbath has gone missing in our culture. Here's the second point. This is where you nudge him, ma'am. Nudge him right now. Second point, sir. And that is very simply that the Sabbath has meaning that we have to recognize once again. In Genesis, we find a seven-day week. On Monday, God cooks up a universe with some simple ingredients. He mixes nuclear weak and strong forces, a dash of gravity, a pinch of electromagnetism. By midweek, he forms the dry land and the seas, and he says, good. That's good. It's all good. On Friday, uh, after coffee or whatever, he stocks the lakes, fills the fills the sky with birds. It's all good. Each day the universe becomes more multifaceted, more interdependent. Each day things get more complicated. On day six, God forms Adam. And then later in the day, because she is even more complicated, more complex, going to take a little more time, God makes Eve. He finishes that and he says, yes, that is excellent. Very good. Adam wakes up and he says, yes, yes, yes. Now that is what I am talking about right there. He's happy. Couldn't be more pleased. And then we wonder how God could possibly top himself after creating a universe that is so magnificent that it includes women. Women like my wife and women like my granddaughters. I mean, you can't get better than that. That's got to be the top of the top. And yet, day seven comes, and the piece de resistance comes out of left field. We're not expecting it. Up to this point, everything has been created out of nothing. But on the morning of the seventh day, God makes nothing out of something. Rest is brought into the world. And when rest is introduced in the world, he pauses and he doesn't say good. He doesn't say very good. He says holy. That is holy. The word Sabbath simply means to cease from working. Stop working. The concept is holy. And so the name of the day or the time of its beginning is really not important. The value of the Sabbath is what happens on that day. Resting one day a week by any name, you can call it Sunday, you can call it Saturday, you can call it the first day, you can call it hump day, you can call it Friday, you can call it any day. But whatever day you call it, it's holy. It's a holy day. The point is to stop on that day and look for God. Look for God. Now, we can't turn back the hands of time. Our 24-7 world is not going to change. I get that. I mean, you may be thinking, this is irrelevant, Pastor. No one's going to go back to 
to a 24-6 week. It's 24-7 now, and there's nothing going to stop it. I get that. But what's going to happen moving forward is new communication tools are going to be created, nanotechnology, human engineering is going to increase, and all it's going to mean to us is that the number of tasks that individual humans can do at one time is going to increase. More and more and more and more pressure on every one of us. So if we wish to have a weekly day of rest, it's no longer going to happen as a societal default. It will happen only as a response made by all of us, which will be a conscious choice. I choose, I choose to take a day to rest. All we need to do is begin to remember, as the fourth commandment tells us, we must remember the why and the how of a day of rest. So what is, the, what is the objective of the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remembering the Sabbath day is about following God's pattern in creation. Remember, God worked six days and on the seventh day he rested. Now the question I want to ask is, did God rest because he was tired? The answer is no. God doesn't need to rest. It's not, not like God had to recharge his batteries so that God could, you know, get up the next week and, you know, get busy. That wasn't it. It's not because he's tired, although that could be a good reason that we stop to rest. Do we do get tired? God didn't rest because he was tired. Listen, God rested because he is holy. He is complete. He is lacking in nothing. He, 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 he requires nothing else or no one else for him to be completely whole. He is a holy God, and everything that God does is holy. So on the seventh day after creation, God rests, and God is holy. So therefore, do the math. Rest is holy. Rest is holy. Rest shows us who God is. So if God didn't if God didn't rest because he was tired, why did he rest? God rested on the seventh day to show restraint. God said, look, I can keep going. I can keep going like this forever. I mean, I can't, I can't be stopped. I can go like this forever. But instead, God paused on the seventh day and he rested. And it's because he was restraining himself. He was preserving his his life. He was withholding his power. And the younger you are in, in, within the sound of my voice right now, the more difficult applying this principle of Sabbath is because you're full of life and full of energy and you've got, you can go seven days a week and good for you. But if you follow the example that God set for us, his own personal example of restraining himself seven days a week, he is ordering for us and modeling for us what it looks like to live your life in a holistic, balanced, energetic way all the way to the end of your life. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So God shows us who he is by restraining himself. Therefore, restraint is holy. So the Sabbath has meant to protect the worker. It was meant to set the stage for the celebration of God. It is our day of rest and, and, and for, the, for the, the Jews who first received the Ten Commandments, it became a bit, a bit of a rule. And when it became a rule and an obligation, then the celebration and the joy of it got lost. 
And so let me just remind you that the Sabbath is not about following the rules. Never is following God about following rules. Never about following rules. Being a good little boy and a good little girl, I follow all the rules. Stop it. Following and honoring and obeying God is always about freedom, not about rules, not about restriction. It's always about fullness of life, abundant opportunity. That's, that's what it always means to say yes to God's will for your life, to submit to his plan for your life. It's never about what I'm losing. It's always about the life that he's about to give me. It's not about the things that I've surrendered and sacrificed. It's always about the opportunity and the abundance and the favor of God that's before me. Never about the rules. Look at this statement from Abraham Lincoln. He said, as we keep our, or break the Sabbath day, as we keep or break the Sabbath day, we no, nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope by which man rises. Hear the wisdom. Well, lots of things have contributed to the change. Electricity, computers, globalization, secularization, jet travel, expectations of students, of sports, of consumerism, all of which have been elevated to religious fervor in our culture. We also have the pressure, increasing number of households with two working parents or single parents created a demand for expanded hours of retail and business services. And yet, while all of that's happened and all of that's changed, we know that professors in our universities still take a sabbatical leave. Judges who strictly enforce many laws, including the separation of church and state, they don't hold court on Sundays. Do you find that ironic? Judges in recent months who've said, you churches cannot meet. Make the ruling six days a week, but not on the seventh. Fascinating. Why did you skip this, that Sunday there, judge? When you're ruling against the church. That's irony. Wall Street measures 24-7. They're profits, but there's no trading on the weekends. But the business of the church also involves laws that apply only to those willing to submit to them. Love God, that's one of the ten. Don't worship idols, that's another of the ten. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, that's another guardrail. Honor your mother and father, that's a good one. And remember the Sabbath day to keep us holy. So the question then is asked, and here it is as we conclude, is our, is our lives more than going and doing and getting, and spending? Isn't it also about being? About who you're becoming? And that the best way to be the person God wants you to be is one day in seven, you find yourself at rest and in touch with God. I want you to think about that. I have a good friend. His name is John, John David Walt. J.D. is one of the vice presidents on the administration at Asbury Theological Seminary, and he runs a ministry called Seedbed, which is a subsidiary of Asbury Seminary. Seedbed produces materials, uh, devotionals, Bible studies, books, videos, and their, and their goal is to sow seeds. The name of the ministry is Seedbed. Sow seeds for a great awakening in our world. 
It's a good goal, isn't it? Great spiritual awakening. J.D. has written a poem, a Sabbath poem called Breathe. I want to read it to us as we conclude today. We'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along as I read. A Sabbath poem, Breathe. Rest in rest. Holy leisure. Airtight time. Sabbath. Hearing ears. Creation slowing. Open eyes. Sabbath. Guiltless feasting. Sacred rhythms, heaven-hugging, Sabbath. Nothing doing, nowhere going, work unknowing, Sabbath. Lord, help us to remember, help us to remember to remember the Sabbath and to remember the Sabbath so as to keep it holy. Lord, help us, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand with us?